Welcome to the second episode of Reentry Inspirations. My name is Tay. I will be your host for this podcast. In my first episode, I talked about who I am, gave you a little bit of background. I'm going to go a little bit deeper in this one. There's This is multifaceted because... My original podcast was kind of the beginner and to ease you into who I am. This one is a little bit closer to home and the true reason why this fire in my belly has been sparked. So I'm going to talk about the pardon process here in PA to start this one off. When you go for a pardon, which in case people do not understand, it's a pardon, not an expungement. The difference between a pardon and an expungement is the pardon is like it never happened. It gets wiped totally off your record. An expungement is just is squashed, which means that employers can't see it. Housing can't see it. However, if you get rearrested, the judge, the cops, the lawyers, and everybody else will still be able to see the crime that you committed, the charges, and what you did with it. I always feel the need to explain that because everybody's first instinct is, oh, well, can't you get it expunged? No, I don't want an expungement. And technically, anybody who believes like expungements are good, but I'm not a full expunged person. I would rather have a pardon, which means that my record's wiped clean. It never happened. I don't have to worry about it ever coming back and biting me in the ass again. Not that I... Plan on committing future crimes, by the way. It's just one of those things that I feel more comfortable knowing that it has gone by versus it still feeling like it's still lingering over my head because it's still there. So the pardon process in Pennsylvania is pretty lengthy. They've gotten it down to a minimum of two years, which... Unfortunately, when I applied, it was just before COVID, so it took me up to three years for me to even get my hearing. So when you originally fill out this application for your pardon, one thing they want is all these all this documentation from your original arrest from the county. So I had to go back to my county, which is six hours east. I had to pay five cents a copy. And what I did is I just got copies of my whole court hearings and pretrial and all that stuff because I didn't know exactly what they wanted because the names of the documents that they needed, I wasn't sure what it was because they didn't have the names back in 1992, not to mention I had to go through microfiche to find it. And if anybody's messed with microfiche, microfiche is not one of the funnest things in the world to play around with. So I had to pay five cents a copy. I copied everything Not to mention I had to go back to this rinky-dink town where people knew that I was not from there. I'm not comfortable going back home. I didn't want to be back home. So I basically went in, got my stuff, and I left. So then the fun part comes because then you have to fill out the application. Writing down all your charges, no big deal really. Um, I had like 13 charges, I believe. I was only charged with two. And then... What you do is you then have to go in depth about your crime. They want to know what all took place the day of your crime, what you participated in, what you admit to, how it happened. And what they do, I'm assuming, is taking these documents and 
comparing them to what the court records were or had. So once you basically spill your soul onto this paper and relive the day of your crime, God forbid if it's anything like mine, it was a violent crime, it wasn't exactly a happy time to relive, you then have to tell them why you want a pardon. The reasoning. Um, this is where most people would probably have a lawyer for all of this. Unfortunately, most lawyers, they will charge you $5,000 just to look at the paper. That does not include possibly going to Harrisburg, filling out the documents, or anything else. And then if they don't feel like you have a good enough chance or they don't really feel like fighting for you, then they're just not going to take the case. I remember I had one lawyer I spoke to. This was years before I even tried my pardon. I was thinking about going for a pardon. I talked to a lawyer. They wanted $9,000 up front, and then... They also wanted me to like it to be like 50 years since I committed my crime, which I thought was completely outrageous considering I was 19. So you want me to be 70 by the time I ask for a pardon. At 70, why the hell do I need a pardon? I got one foot in the grave and I'm probably retired. So what is the purpose of a pardon at the age of 70? That positively made no sense to me, but that's what they offered me, and obviously I told them no. So as I said, I applied just before COVID. So I hit, like during the COVID, they weren't doing hearings, they were shut down. And it probably took them, um, I think it was probably almost close to two years. It's what they call the merit interview, which was new to the process to me because I've applied for a part in... It was probably years ago. I was still on probation, or excuse me, I was still on parole because I wanted some of my tail taken off me because I had a ten and a half year tail or nine and a half year tail. Wow, I'm just a whole bunch of messed up facts today, so I apologize for that. Um, I had a nine and a half year tail, and I wanted some of it taken off of me. Uh, I went through the process. Obviously, I didn't even make it to the hearing. Definitely not. They just said nope too early we're not even going to do it and I didn't even want a quote-unquote pardon at that time I was asking for a commutation which was commuting some of my sentence which means just taking some of my tail off if they approved me it could mean instead of me having a nine and a half year tail or nine and a half years on parole I would only have like five or six I would have just got off parole early it would have taken any of the charges off of me or anything it would have just taken me off supervision sooner Obviously, they denied me. So this pardon process, I went into this merit hearing. It was over the phone. It was with a parole officer, and he dug. I probably would have rathered have someone stab me in the eye or my teeth pulled out with no kind of uh, painkillers or anything like that because that probably would have felt much better than... The way this guy dug in and asked me about everything in depth. And one of the last things he said to me was, you got a good chance of making it. And a lot of it was because my crime was in 1992. It was now 2021 because it was last year. So it had been 29 years. I had a master's, I had a bachelor's, I had moved on with life, I'd become this quote-unquote productive member of society. He's like, yes, you have a good chance. I believed him. 
this was in September 21. And I believe it was like, he told me not to expect to hear anything until around January and February because they were so backed up. And I'm like, okay, so February. So I went about my business, uh, almost completely forgetting about it. And then I got the notification, hey, uh, it was actually like the end of February. I got the notification that my hearing, my board hearing, I'd go in front of the board, which is a panel of five people. I don't know everybody's name, but I do know that Shapiro was there and Fetterman was there. And then I had a psychologist and a criminal justice specialist and a victim's advocate is basically, I don't know everybody's name, but I do know Shapiro was there and I know Fetterman was there. And for those of you who are not in Pennsylvania, Fetterman is currently our lieutenant governor and Shapiro is currently our attorney general. And I bring this up specifically because this is going to be very important information later on in the podcast. So I got the notification that I'm going to be going in front of the board on April 24th, I believe it was. So I had to log into Zoom at 9 a.m. And I found out that I was 11th on the docket. So I literally took the day off of work. I had to use PTO, uh, set up my room, and to get ready for this hearing. I was ready. I had documentation ready. I know that what my application said, I had the letters of recommendations from these people. And at 9 o'clock, they begin the hearings. I sat there, and I listened to each one of these people ahead of me. Some of them, I have no idea why they were there. Some of them just committed crimes like two or three months ago, but they wanted past crimes dissolved, which I found hilarious. So as I'm sitting there, I'm listening, and each of these people probably got 5, 10, sometimes 15 minutes um, and I didn't hear of any violence, like violent offenders. Most of them were petty crimes, drug dealers, you know, things of that nature, like, you know, thievery, breaking into places. But there wasn't any violent offenders that came before me. So when my time came, I was 11th. This is probably where you're going to hear the irritation really hit my voice. Because the first thing they asked me was... What have you done to deal with your anger? So let me give you a little backstory about me and my anger. So when I was in prison, I went up in front of the board. I was supposed to be released in 1999. When I went in front of the board the first time, I had already taken anger management and advanced anger management. I went in front of the board and they hit me, telling me I had to take anger management again. So I went back to the class. I'm like, I have to take this again for the board. They're like, okay, cool. So I took it again. In 2000, I went back in front of the board and they hit me again and they had to take anger management again for a third time, which to me is totally asinine. Why the hell do I got to take the same thing like three freaking times? So anyways, I went back to the psychologist and I'm like, hey, I have to take this class. He's like, what are you doing here? He says, I'm like, the board has tells me I have to take this class. He's like, get the hell out of my my room because you're not going to take it. He says, you're not angry. Anger is not your issue. He's like, and besides, you've already taken it twice. He says, what's the third time going to do? So when I went in front of the board, that's the first thing out of their mouth is, what have you done for anger management? 
And in my head, I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, my record shows I have not committed any violent offenses since 1992. I have no complaints, no PFAs. Nobody's complained about my anger. I don't have any charges. And I was I was like, okay, so my anger management, I'm like, what have I done? I have coping skills today. Like, I go for a walk. I play a game. I talk to people. I vent. I no longer, like, lash out, quote-unquote, like I did supposedly with as a violent offender. So this was the first spark in my belly because now – I'm mad because you automatically assume all violent offenders are just angry and we just walk around the angriest people in the world and we just beat up people just for the fuck of it. Like, nothing else to do with our life, so I'm just going to walk up and punch this dude because I'm angry. It doesn't matter that he didn't do anything. Like, that doesn't even make sense to me. So this is like my rant about, like, the anger and the violent offenders because they just automatically assume that we're just going to lash out and just beat people up just because we have nothing better to do with our day. It's like, oh, I woke up. Oh, I think I'm going to go slap somebody just because I'm in a pissy mood, which does not make any sense to me. Anyway, I'm going to get off that rant for a minute. So that was the first thing they asked me about was my anger. So I already felt my stomach, like my anger and my frustration already starting to rise. And then the next person what they asked me about was, quote-unquote, borderline personality disorder, which I was diagnosed with in jail, which does not exist. I have a therapist to prove it. I have a psychiatrist to prove it. But unfortunately, they are still stuck in 1992 to 2002 because apparently they have not come up to 2022. That is not my diagnosis. My diagnosis is PTSD. Okay, so post-traumatic stress disorder, for those of you who do not know what it is, post-traumatic comes not just from being in jail, but from a fucked up childhood. So now I can really feel myself getting irritated. And as soon as I bring that up, I literally look to Shapiro and Fetterman and they just roll their eyes and they automatically, what happened that day? And I told them, look, I take responsibility for everything that day. I take full responsibility. I am accountable for what I did. I will take responsibility for everything except pulling the trigger. And why I say that is because I had a co-defendant who was across on the other side of the room who pulled the trigger. They're like, so you had nothing to do with it. I'm like, he was on the other side of the room. I will not take responsibility for pulling that trigger. So when they're like, oh, does anybody have any other questions? They're like, "Uh, nope, I've heard everything I need. So let me explain this a little bit. In order for me to get out of jail in 2002, the only way I got out is because I had to admit that I pulled the trigger of a gun that was on the other side of the room, even though it was someone else that pulled the trigger. So you want to talk about how messed up the justice system is, right? So I'm supposed to take responsibility for this person's actions because I was there. And to this day, it blows my mind because I don't get it. I really don't. You want me to be a productive member of society. You want me to come out here and be somebody and to change and to become a better person. Yet when I stand in front of you, you want me to lie to you. I don't get it. How is that productive? I'm not supposed to lie. I'm supposed to be following the rules. I'm supposed to be following the laws. But yet you want me to lie. So needless to say, by the time the hearing was done, I was pissed as a hornet. I felt that fire burn, I was mad, I was angry, and it took everything in me 
to not just go around and destroy anything and everything in my path. Because in my little criminal mind and in my mindset, oh, well, screw it. I have nothing left, right? And because that's the way we think. I have nothing left. I already fucked it up. So everything's fucked up anyway. So let me just keep fucking up because that's what we do. You know what I mean? Like, we can't just do things half-ass. You know, it's that all-or-nothing thing, right? So, well, that didn't work, so fuck it. I'm just going to screw myself over and over, shoot myself in the foot a couple times, destroy everything I built. So this shows my growth, because I did not do that. Instead, I went off on my own, I took a step back, and I really thought about what I could do, because something needs to change. This part and process needs to change. This stigma for violent offenders needs to change. Lo and behold, this is an election year. I don't know about y'all, but I am quite frankly, and this is where Fetterman and Shapiro come into my little play. Shapiro is currently running for governor. Fetterman is currently running for a senator and PA. So, of course, what are they pointing at, right? So, Mastriano, who is running against Shapiro, and Oz, who is running against Fetterman, they're just picking at them about the criminal justice system and how lenient they are and how they want to let violent offenders out and how they want to do this and how they want to do that. Trust me, I have no idea where they're getting their information. Because as a violent offender in Pennsylvania, it takes an act of God to get out of prison. You have to pretty much sell your soul to the devil, which I had to do, by the way, as I stated, I had to lie to get out of jail. I had to admit to something that I did not do to get out of jail just so I could get out after 10 and a half years when my sentence was originally seven and a half. But yet their campaign is revolving around the criminal justice system and violent offenders and letting people out of jail. Needless to say, every time I hear it, I get pissed. You know, the, the fucked up part about this whole thing is that I'm not a bad person. You know, I, I'm far from perfect. And, you know, I'm human. And when I was in jail, one thing that the cops used to say to us is the only difference between us and them is we got caught. And, you know, I don't in any way, shape, or form justify my actions. I'm not trying to condone what I did. I'm not saying it's right. I mean, everybody has what they deem justified anger. I was wrong on every level. Unfortunately, at the age of 19, I was put in a position I didn't know what else to do. And this what is what happens when you're young and you were never given coping skills or you were raised in a fucked up environment. Like, you only know what you know. And if you don't know it, you don't know it. And unfortunately, I'm one of those that... I felt like a trapped rat, and it is one of my triggers. I don't like feeling trapped, like I don't have a choice, like there's no way out of anything. You know, I always tell people that even a dog will bite you if you kick him enough. You know, and anything that's cornered is going to fight to get out. And at that point in time in my life, I felt cornered. I was riddled with drugs alcohol. I was making piss poor decisions. The family was just going to shit. I'm not even going to 
get into details on that for the uh, anonymity of my victims. But I think the biggest thing about all of this is I told you that the Shapiro and Fetterman thing were important. The pardon thing was important because the political climate, though I'm not a political person in any way, shape, or form. I don't do politics, never did politics, and I'm doing them even less as I grow older because it seems like no matter who's in office, they talk a good game. They very rarely follow through. I mean, for example, Biden wanted to, you know, uh, get rid of some of the debt, but they had to force him because that's what he he chose to do or that's what he said he was going to do in his election, and they literally forced his hand. So my story with Shapiro and Vetterman, right, they, as I said, you know, Shapiro's currently our attorney general, who's done a lot of great things. You know, he's uh, helped with the opioid crisis. He got a lot of doctors that were, like, giving out scripts for no reason and keeping the opioid thing going. And he was a big, you know, big person with that. And, you know, Fetterman, I've heard Fetterman was a pretty cool dude. You know, and technically Fetterman was the one that told me to go for a pardon. Um, I did reach out to him. And I pled my case with him, and he told me, you know, that I needed to go for a pardon. So I went for a pardon, and we see how that turned out for me, right? And I'm sure you're wondering, can I go again? Sure. A year from the date that I was denied. So as of April of next year, if I want to reapply, I can. But the question is, is it really worth my time? Is it really that important to me? It's one of those things that I don't get when they talk about violent offenders because in their campaigns, they're talking about Fetterman supposedly letting all these violent offenders back out on the street. And I'm sorry, but I don't see it. Maybe I'm blind. Maybe I'm not paying attention. But, I mean, unless things change, which I highly doubt they have, it takes, as I said, an act of God. For you to get out of jail if you're a violent offender because they don't just say oh okay yep we're gonna let you go because violent offenders are tagged there is this tag out there that once you're a violent offender you're always a violent offender and you're not ever gonna change which pisses me off beyond work i do not understand that and that's what's blowing my mind about these campaigns and these ads that these guys have going on because they seem to be using the criminal justice system and people who've been in prison as their platform to get elected. Are they really about change? Really? Are they really about change? So this is my question. Are they really about change? Because my whole thing is if you're really about change, you would have gave me more than two minutes at my fucking hearing. And yes, it pisses me off because I watched everybody before me get 10 minutes, 15 minutes, I was basically just, uh, we're just not going to even talk to you because when you talk about your past, and that's all they focused on, by the way, I don't think I told you that. That was all they focused on. They wanted to know if I had anger management. They wanted to know if I was on medication for my borderline personality disorder, which, by the way, does not exist. And they wanted to know what? They wanted to know what happened that day. And I'm going to pause for a minute, and I'm going to let you think about that.
So, what happened that day in accordance to who? You, who were not there, by the way. The court documents that were completely bullshit or according to me, the person that was there. They didn't want to hear what I had to say. They didn't care what I had to say. And what's worse, they did not give a fuck that I have an education, including a master's. They didn't care that I went to school for a bachelor's. I have a master's. I've been working in the drug and alcohol field for the last seven years. I've been a CRS. I've helped people. I've worked with DUI. I've worked with drug court. I've worked with the probation office. i work with the feds. And they just did not give a fuck about where I was at today. Now, I'm going to let you think about that for a minute. As a violent offender, how can you not look at where people are at today? As anybody who's been in jail. And this is the problem right now, is that they don't see us for who we are today. They are so focused on what we did 5, 10, 15, 20, hell, 30 years ago. Like, when I was 19. Are you serious right now? I'm fucking 50 years old. Do you really think that I'm going to be the same person I was at 19? And this is what really gets me about this whole situation, right? So... They don't care what I did. And now, what does that remind you of? I will tell you, in case you haven't figured it out, it's like trying to get out of jail. Remember when you go into jail, they give you this little list of all this shit you got to do. Oh, you need this group and that group and this therapy and that therapy. You need to do this. You need to complete that. You need to complete that. You need to complete that, right? So you have this whole list of shit that you need to do in your time to, quote, unquote, For the board. But the problem is, is half of the time when you're doing this shit, who are you doing it for? Are you doing it for you? No. You're doing it for the board because all you want to do is go home, right? So when I got out in this pardon process, one of the things that I was told is, oh, well, you need to go out and, you know, you need to do public service and you need to volunteer and you need this many hours. I'm like, so... I'm supposed to do the same thing I did in jail, which doesn't make sense to me. Because in jail, I did the groups to get the hell out. Who the hell doesn't? Like, this is the last place I want to be. I just want to do what I got to do and get the fuck out and move on with my life. That's all I want to do. So for this pardon, I'm supposed to go out and just suddenly want to volunteer someplace to make it look good for the board. Like, I owe them something. And this is the really funny part. Like, I owe them something. Think about that for a minute. I owe them. And I don't know about you, but I remember being in prison and people telling me, no one owes you anything. If anything, you owe yourself, right? I owe it to myself to do these things. I don't owe the board nothing. I don't feel like I have to prove anything to them because I'll be damned if I'll let their decision and their opinions of me affect who I am as a person. And that is where the fire came from. Because there was something about that hearing, and it took me probably about a week. I sat back, I licked my wounds, I thought about it. I felt the anger, I felt the hurt. I felt the frustration, the irritation, I felt the sadness. I might have even been depressed a little bit. But then, 
something clicked in my head. And I came to the decision, I'll be goddamned if I'm going to let these people dictate who I am as a person, how I am as a person, and what success or a productive member of society looks like. And that, my friends, is where this podcast came from. Because it doesn't matter what the board thinks of you. It doesn't matter what society thinks of you. It doesn't matter what your family thinks of you. What matters is what you think of you. Most people who've been incarcerated spent so much time proving themselves over and over again, proving ourselves that we belong, proving ourselves that we're good enough, even as addicts and alcoholics, right? To prove ourselves. We always have to prove ourselves. Like we deserve something. Like we we deserve to belong in the society. Like we deserve to be people. We deserve respect and dignity. I don't owe shit to you, right? I don't have to prove anything to you. And that, my friends, is where I'm at with all this situ this situation, this whole situation. I don't have to prove nothing to you. I don't have to prove that I'm worthy. I don't have to prove that I belong here because I know I do, obviously. And quite frankly, when it comes to the board, their opinion is no, 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 no matter to me. It is what it is, right? But I got to the point where I'll be goddamned if I'm going to let somebody else dictate my life when I'm not even on fucking paper, right? I did my time. I went to jail. I, I walked my tail. I successfully completed. I don't owe them nothing. And that's what pissed me off the most is they talked to me like I was a fucking inmate. Like I was less than them. And I was not quote unquote worthy to be there because I'm a violent offender. So when it comes to Fetterman and Shapiro, I lost all respect. I could give two fucks if they win or not because all they are is talking out their ass right now. That's no doubt in my mind. Seriously. Resentment? Yeah. But I'm going to tell you what, that anger that I feel about that situation, I'm using it to fuel me. I'm using it to push me forward. And I'm using it to put out my platform and to be there for you guys. Because one thing I want you to always remember is don't ever let somebody tell you who you are. Don't ever let somebody determine what you can and cannot do. Especially when it comes to them. If you're off paper, I don't know about you, but that doesn't define you. That doesn't make you who you are. And that's one thing I've learned is I'll be damned if I'm going to let my past define who I am. Which is why last time when I left you, I left you with a quote, your past does not define you. Because it doesn't. Granted, this was a lot of a rant for me. But it was the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. This is my passion. This is my love. Because there's no other platform that I can get on to let people know that you deserve the respect and dignity. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. You could be a mass murderer for all I care. And you still re deserve respect and dignity regardless. Because above all else, you're a human. And... That's all this is about, right? So I guess this is the point where I probably should apologize in the beginning of it because I kind of went on a rant, but this is the reason why I do what I do, like the true reason, because I get tired of people telling me who I am and what I can and cannot do. 
Um, I'm not on parole anymore. I am a productive member of society. And basically, it's fuck Shapiro and fuck Fetterman. I don't need the board's approval to prove that I'm a productive member of society. I mean, I've been dealing with this for, what, 30 years now? I have been dealing with the employment issue, dealing with the housing issue, you know, but there's always a workaround. And I don't need them to confirm who I am as a person because I know who I am. And just like I'm not letting my past define me. You know, am I an ex-felon? Yep. Am I a violent offender? Yep. Am I an addict, an alcoholic? Yep, sure am. But you know what? That's not makes me who I am today. That doesn't define me. What defines me is the fact that I'm passionate. I'm compassionate. I'm empathetic. I am a therapist. And I talk to people every day. I help people every day. I see people at their worst. Some of them are currently in withdrawal, trying to get on Suboxone. You know, some of them, they just lost somebody they loved. One of them just had a massive surgery. You know, but I am there for them. And the bottom line is this. If I'm who the board says I am, how can I be that person? Like, how can I be doing my job and doing it well? This is something that I want everybody to always remember. Your past does not define you. You are who you want to be. Don't allow what you've done in your past or the board or parole or your parole officer or a judge define who you are as a person. Only person who defines you is you. And that's something that I want you to really, if you don't take nothing away from this podcast today, take that. Because this is not about the board. This is not about the judge. This is not about the legal system for real. This is all about you and your ability to be resilient and your ability to come back and your ability to stand up. It doesn't matter. You can be denied for a job 20 million times, but you know what? That door is going to open. It's going to come into fruition. You know, you're going to see things, but you, you just can't get up. Right, Because every time we give up, we're letting the system win. And this is what people don't realize is every time you give up, you fuck up, you catch a new charge, you violate your parole, your probation, you go back to jail. The system wins. I'm tired of the system winning. Okay, so at this point, resilience is the key. Is it easy? Hell no. It's hard as fuck to leave jail and to come out here and to make it. I'm not even going to deny it. I ran into so many doors that I had a headache all the time. It was a constant fight emotionally, mentally, physically, just to get where I am today. And I'm still fighting. Like the fight never ends. You just learn to adapt. You just learn to overcome. And that's the funny part is if we can go from society and adapt to jail, So think about it. If you're going from society and you're adapting to jail, you're adapting to the environment that's massively toxic. You're surrounded by people who are positively crazy. They've done some things that I'd rather not speak of, right? And by the way, it's not my my passing judgment. I'm making statements. So when you go to jail, I don't know about you. I was 19, so I was young. I had never in my life 
come across anybody who'd been in jail, let alone committed a crime. And to find out I was in this place with all these people that had like committed crime. But the key was I had people there to help me. I had people to guide me. And that's something that I want to do, even if it's through a podcast. Going into jail, we were able to adapt. Why can't we adapt when we come out? If we have the resilience in jail, we need to find that same resilience out here. Positive resilience. And this is something I want you to encourage to think about until my next podcast because I'm getting ready to wrap this one up. But I want you to remember that your past does not define you. You define you. Do not let anybody tell you you are less than. Do not let anybody make you believe you are less than. Especially whether you have a college degree or not. Nobody can take those away from you because God knows I have the student loans to prove that I have them. Nothing can take your education away from you. Nobody can ever take anything from you, whether it's your self-esteem, self-confidence, or your belief in yourself, unless you let them. And I am encouraging you to hang on to that 110%. Hang on to who you are. Have dignity. Right? Maintain that dignity. And be who you are. Don't let anybody define you. Don't be somebody just because somebody tells you this is who you are. You be who you are. That's all that's important to me. You know? So, until the next time, remember, your past does not define who you are or what you can achieve.